Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton here with Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. We're back here with a couple of dear friends here in Vegas as we're continuing our coverage of the 18th Annual Reverse Logistics Association Conference and Expo. That's a mouthful, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but it is the center of the universe for all things reverse logistics and returns management. So on that note, as we continue all these shows here, I'm joined by a couple of fantastic featured guests, the dynamic duo. I've got Alan Amling and Tom Golds will be both with the University of Tennessee and then some. So Alan, mm -hmm. Tom, how are we doing? Doing great. Doing Scott. fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for having us on, Scott. Wonderful. So Tom, I don't know if you knew this. Uh, as Alan came over earlier, uh, it dawned on me that you were on either episode two or three of Supply Chain Now way back then. How about that? That's right. That's now, right. And congratulations on your success. Well, I appreciate that. As, 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 I, as I shared, no one cares about those pod podcast numbers except the podcast <laughs> hosts. And we're at, I think, 8, 823, wow. 828 now. So it's been an incredible journey. And But, you know, great guests, great show. And, Alan, you brought it then, and, and you're going to bring it today. And you brought a friend and a partner. Oh, absolutely. Tom's awesome. One of the w one of the best in supply chain. So I think I should just step off right now. <laughs> <laughs> you got downhill it. from here, right? So. <laughs> Does it get any better? Is that one of the best in supply chain? Does that come with a championship belt? <laughs> it really should. It really should. Did you He's pack the belt? Did you bring it to Vegas? <laughs> I did. As a matter of fact, yeah, we're yeah. going to need to break it out, <laughs> Rick Flair. Well, you know, obviously, and, and I know that you are doing things beyond University of Tennessee, but that is such a, an incredible organization that means a lot in global supply chain, right? Turns out a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. That's changing the industry for the better, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, one of the things that attracted me to uh, University of Tennessee is they do a lot of focus on applied research, right? right. Research that companies that, that are struggling right now care about. Right. And so it's been fantastic, yeah. Mm -hmm. Outstanding. Something else that's really cool about being at the University of Tennessee, Scott, if you can believe it, it Supply chain management is the largest major in the UT system. <laughs> uh, really? Yeah, we yeah. have uh, a last count of over 1,400 undergraduate students. I think it's probably closer to 1,600 now that the world knows a little something about supply chain in this, this COVID era. But uh, also, we host a multitude of master's programs and executive programs, as well as a PhD program. Yeah. Outstanding. So supply chain is indeed cool now. It's very cool, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're trying to make it cooler. Love yeah. possible. Well, the, well let's, let's dive into some of that. And we are. We're going to talk. We're going to pick their brains on what's going on in the industry. But before we get there, I want to get to know y'all both a little bit better and share okay. you with our listeners. So, Alan, I'll start with you. Okay. Tell us where you grew up. So I grew up in a small town in southern Oregon, about 12,000 people. It's called Grants Pass. Okay. And uh, it's got one of the top steelhead rivers in the country called the Rogue River. Flows right through the middle of town. Yeah. I was able to, to get from my house to the river in five minutes. Like Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer. And I didn't realize at the time just how precious that was. Mm. So loved it. You know, you're the first person from Grants Pass <laughs> on the show. 
So uh, we'll, add, we'll add a plaque well, back there. I'll in bet. There <laughs> All right, so Tom, how about you? I am a hick from near French Lick, uh, Indiana. Mitchell, <laughs> Indiana is my hometown. Okay. And uh, French Lick, Indiana, there was a famous resident who uh, played basketball some years back. You may have heard of him. Right. Bird, but also about equidistant in the other direction is John Mellencamp, small town, Seymour, okay. Indiana. So I grew up kind of equidistant between those two places in Mitchell, Indiana. Outstanding. Formerly John Cougar Mellencamp. Johnny Cougar yeah. Mellencamp, that's right. Yeah, he, he's not so fond of that no. uh, memory, <laughs> but yeah, that was a label he had for a time. Yeah. And of course, Larry Bird, the one and only from French Lick, Indiana. Yeah. Um, is he still, I think he's still involved with the, with the Pacers, yeah, I think, right? Yeah, I think he's in the organization. Is you he? Know, no longer coaching. Might, uh, I don't think he's president, but he's at least consulting. And I okay. think he's spent some time in Indy. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so we're, that's going to be a great segue. It's like you're reading my mind. Because mm. I, want, I want to get from both of you your favorite sports team of all time. And, Tom, I'm going to stick with you. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough one to pick out a singular. Certainly, I was a big fan of the Larry Bird Celtics yep. and also the Reggie Miller Pacers. All right. But before that, it was probably the Big Red Machine, the Cincinnati Reds of the mid, mid to late 70s. Yeah. Uh, that uh, They were just unstoppable. Yes, they were. They sure were. Big Red Machine. Uh, Pete Rose is on Pete those Rose, teams, right? Uh, Dave Concepcion. Uh, oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Griffey, uh, on and on and on. Unstoppable. Great, Johnny Bench, yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny Bench uh, can, but they have, he can like hold five baseballs in one hand or something ridiculous yeah, like that? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And dunk with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Alan, that's going to be a tough one to top. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bad News Bears. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, actually, I would say kind of that late, 70s era Steelers group with yes. uh, Bradshaw and Harris, Lynn Swan, Iron Curtain, Mean right? Joe Green, right? Uh, and my favorite of all time, Jack Lambert. If Ooh. you're so, if you're too young to know who Jack <laughs> Lambert is, go on YouTube. It's absolutely awesome. The guy, it's just he's just spitting and this guy missing his front teeth and he's pumping his legs. It's like the same intensity you bring to the classroom. That's right. That's right. So, you know, what you're saying is if you look up the word football in the dictionary, it's got a picture of Jack Lambert. It's got to, it's got to, right. Uh, All right. Those are some outstanding answers. I I almost want to stick with sports for the rest of the time together, but let's, let's shift gears here. Uh, We're going to talk about what y'all been doing, some really exciting projects and, and, and engaging that now generation, which we're going to talk about, but let's talk about lessons learned because 2021 has, has taught us uh, and it's created so truckloads of eureka moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Alan, I'll stick with you here. So name one, give me one good eureka moment for 2021 for you. So there were, there were a lot, but I would say probably the, just the game changer for me was, I call it physical chaos, mm. digital order. And what I mean by that is, so I spent 27 years at UPS, right? right? And so everything kind of makes sense. There's a process, right? There's a, a process for delivering packages in uh, Wyoming that's the same in Hong Kong that's the same in Brussels, right? And it makes sense. In our um, 3PL division that I worked at for six years, I understood how everything was uh, ordered in, the, in those, you know, 40-foot racks and, you know, the stuff that turns quicker, it, you know, it's towards the bottom, it's closer to the pick station. <laughs> and... Um, 
And then I see some of these e-commerce retailers and stuff is all over the place mm. and they've got, you know, all of these, you know, gig workers and contractors and there's some are using employees. And I'm like, I don't understand that from how I grew up. Mm. And my big eureka moment is I don't need to understand to be able to look at something and be able to figure it out. If the technology is attaching some knowledge to a product, mm. you can coordinate it. You can coordinate gig workers, you can coordinate co contractors, and what's happening right now is companies are using that technology to connect disparate assets, disparate partners in ways that are approaching the efficiency mm. of a UPS and a, and a FedEx. And it's absolutely fascinating to me. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It is an intriguing time to be in global supply chain right now. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I would add before I, I get your take here, Tom, one of my favorites, and we talk about this till the cows come home, one of my favorite aspects of the, the pandemic age has been the innovation that has been driving. It's going to make the industry better once yep. we're truly in the post-pandemic environment, right? Because yep. it's here to stay. Whether we like it or not, it's been a big common thread about these Eureka moments. Yeah. We're learning to live and work and succeed and win to some degree with COVID, you know? Yeah. And the industry's going to be stronger and, and, and truly more resilient, not in the cliche mm -hmm. sense, you know, because everybody's really wrapped their head around resiliency right. and it's in every title and book right. and you name it, but in true practical sense. Um, all right, so that's a great starting point, Alan. Thank yep. you very much. Uh, Tom, Eureka Moment 2021. Yeah, I'd say 2021 was marked as a year in which my two college-age kids stopped referring to logistics and supply chain management. And for those of you listening, I'm using air quotes around those terms <laughs> because that's the way my kids referred to those things right. up until 2021 as if it was something that I just made up. Right. You know, right. what does your dad do? Oh, he does logistics <laughs> and supply chain management. So that was certainly very big for me. But uh, <laughs> back at, at UT, we conducted some research starting in 2019 on supply chain agility. We have an organization called the Advanced Supply Chain Collaborative in which Alan and I are quite active. Yep. And back in 19, we started a project on agility back before the pandemic, back before COVID was ever a thing. Right. And uh, agility was something that was kind of a luxury, a nice to have. Right. It wasn't mm -hmm. a requirement in order to succeed uh, in industry, but hey, everybody would like to have a little more of it. And so we worked with a wide assortment of companies from big equipment manufacturers, consumer packaged goods companies, kind of everything in between. And what we realized is that agility, particularly once we got into COVID, right. was a very important and pretty affordable form of resilience. I used to think it was kind of an either or proposition. Right. Do you want your supply chain to be agile or do you want it to be resilient? And what we came to appreciate through some simulation modeling work we did with those companies was that agility was in fact a very valid and affordable form of agility, particularly if you could be agile and point a lot of the tools that Alan just alluded to in digitalization. Mm -hmm. uh, if we could speed up and shorten our planning cycles, for instance, that became incredibly valuable to try to react 
much quicker to those demand signals that were changing almost day over day. Yeah. And so rather than talking about, okay, are we going to reshore operations, which that could take years or decades sure. to really pull off, <laughs> right. you know, the question is, can we get our planning team to work off of more immediate term demand signals? Can we get away from that 30-day planning cycle? get it down to 21, get it down to 15, what and, have you. And leverage current partners. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And, and recognizing that we don't have to go it alone. We can rely upon vendors, third parties, tech companies, whoever, because we're all in this together. That was right. one thing that made this disruption so different. The magnitude that you alluded to, but also the ubiquity. Right. All of us were in it together, and right. so figuring out creative solutions was imperative. Uh, quick follow-up to that point. You know, early in the pandemic, we got a lot of invitations uh, for our team, our hosts, you know, different series to be on panels for reshoring. You know, we got to bring this proves we got to bring everything back, and a sliver of that. You know, we all, every country in the world likes a strong economy, and manufacturing is a big mm -hmm. part of that, right? In many cases, there's plenty of reshoring case studies, good examples for that. But I like your point, Tom, because rather than the knee-jerk reaction, right, and go straight to finding new partners and, and turning your global supply chain on its head, get better, in, in some many cases, it sounds like to me, at your current network mm -hmm. and find a better way to execute. Sounds like there's a great opportunity to do that in some cases. Yeah, exactly, and what was so incredible for us as researchers was to ride along with these companies that we're trying to figure out. And again, we use simulation research, which is a very valuable tool to look before you leap. Right. And so we were able to say, hey, here's some options. Which one of these you know, looks most viable? And then with your help, we can model what that future could look like. And that future is not something that's five or 10 years down the road, right. it's five or 10 days down that's the road. Right. And, and it could be really meaningful to the decisions we make here and now. Love that. Alan, your yes. quick follow-up to that. Yeah, so that's exactly what I was talking about around University of Tennessee and the, and the kind of research that they're doing. But just in that kind of what he was describing, what Tom was describing, where, you know, no quick rush, and not every case, to nearshore, reshore, yeah. you know, uh, resource, all this stuff. That, and in some cases, that, that's the appropriate thing. But first, let's examine how we can execute better with what we have. Yeah, I, and so, so I, love that, I love that point. It gets me to, you know, talking a little bit about what some of these startups are doing, right? Yeah. Right, so it was like $24 billion invested in, from, in startups in the first three quarters of 2021. And, you know, in, in my role now, I'm talking to a lot of startups. And what's interesting, it's, it's a mix of people that have been in the industry. Right. But there's a lot of talent coming in that are offering new perspectives, right? I, I talked to a guy that was part of development of the iPhone at Apple, really? right, that's, that's, that has a startup. There was a former catcher for the um, uh, Washington, Washington Nationals, Nationals yeah. really? uh, has yeah. a returns company called Pollen. It's absolutely fascinating, coordinating gig drivers. And they're all coming at it from some different angles, a diversity of thought, right? Right, right. And it's really energizing the industry. And uh, I, think it, I think that's fantastic. And it also seems, uh, on a related note, corporations, big enterprises are more willing to engage in some of the risk of working with startups. And that's been a great development here, it seems like, in the last two or three years. Yeah, yeah. All right, 
So let's, both of y'all are alluding to some of the things you're involved with now uh, related to the University of Tennessee and maybe some things you're doing in the industry in general. Let's talk more about that. And so, Alan, I'll stick with you for a minute. You've got a, you've got a full plate, maybe a couple full plates. I tell do. Us, tell us what, what's going, what you're doing with UT and tell us some of the other projects y'all have got cooking. Yeah, so, so I'm retired. <laughs> so... No, I, so I did retire from UPS after 27 years of 2019, but I'm... Congratulations, I, I'm by a, the way. That's a thanks. feat. 27 years is a I, feat. I'm as busy now as I've ever been. So I really love the work I'm doing with Tennessee. So I, I teach in the online Master of Supply Chain course. So I teach a strategy and a technology class. Love interacting uh, with those students. Fantastic. And then uh, doing some research as part of this advanced supply chain collaborative and had the you know honor of, of, of working with Tom the last couple years and worked with some other professors on a, on a blockchain project a few years ago. So the ROI of blockchain, right? right. So what, how does it really matter? What's real? What's hype? And, and so that's, that's about half my time. And then I've got an LLC where I'm doing consulting. I'm uh, advising startups in this space. And, and then I've got a book coming out. Awesome. In, March 16th, and it's called Organizational Velocity. And it's, it's all about how companies can get out of their own way and move at the speed of business. And it was something that, you know, that I, I, I struggled with at, at UPS, even though I would say UPS is probably one of the most innovative companies. They're, they're not moving at the speed that I'm seeing some of these startups and younger companies and even advanced more technology advanced companies moving at. And what I found, I, I, I talked to leaders in the military, yep. digital leaders, Fortune 500 leaders, and what it came down to is not technology, it's not operations, it's not process, it starts with mindset. Mm. Moving at the speed of change is a decision, not a circumstance. I like right? that. And we've got our podcast there title. You go. There you go. Right there. And, and so I distill all those lessons in the book. I call them truth bombs, golden, golden nuggets. And, and it all ties into supply chain, right? Because when I was doing my, my work really on disruption, when I started it, supply chain was really not getting disrupted. Right. Supply chain was pretty protected. That's not the case anymore. No, it's not. No, it is not. Right? So organizational velocity. That's it. Coming out March 16th. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned, you've got several full plates. So we look forward to celebrating the book and getting a copy. And, and I'm sure it's going to be a bestseller. Tom, let's talk. Because a lot of the stuff you are doing together, the, the collaborative, the advanced supply chain collaborative, mm-hmm. sounds like a really cool initiative. Yeah. Talk to us about what you do with UT and outside of UT. Sure. So uh, I serve as the Dean and Jimmy Haslam Chair of Logistics and fairly new to UT after 25 years in academia. I was on the faculty at Ohio State for, for many years, also Kentucky. And Great school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, for supply chain. Absolutely. The, the Ohio State the Ohio University. State University. Right? The, yeah, thank you for the, the, yeah, the alums would have been throwing things at their, <laughs> uh, at their mobile device uh, without that correction. So thanks, Scott. I appreciate that. <laughs> But uh, great institutions, but you know, what really drew me to UT was what Alan was describing, this incredible collegiality, yes, but, but the innovation, uh, the risk-taking, which, dare I say, you've spent a little time in academia, you realize the universities aren't very <laughs> much uh, risk-loving right. organizations in their own right, and, and what we saw at UT was an organization that innovated and created things, whether it was academic programs, 
uh, research initiatives, centers. So, so Al and I represent the Global Supply Chain Institute at, at UT, and that's really the engine by which we, we incubate ideas mm -hmm. and, and we uh, incorporate industry and, and everything that we do really yeah. programmatically uh, from, from scholarship uh, and teaching and research. And so what really brings Alan and me here to the Reverse Logistics Association meeting, which I have to point out is my first RLA meeting, I'm, pr I'm pretty blown away by this, is a focus on an ASK project, ASCC um, project, looking at e-commerce returns. And this is really part two. Is that two. a thing? <laughs> it's quite <laughs> a thing. You know, we got the holidays just in our rearview mirrors yeah. and that stuff's still just flooding all of our distribution networks. And last year, 2021, Alan and I focused on forward deployment. You know, the premise of how we serve the diabolical consumer that is around this table <laughs> right. and everywhere yeah. uh, around the world that expects unlimited uh, assortment. They expect free Shipping, which we all know there's no such thing as right. free shipping. They expect it in two days or perhaps less. They expect no questions asked, no hassle uh, returns. It's like, how is a business supposed to make money doing this? And so we looked at what we called the physics of urban logistics last year, that last mile piece. Yeah. We broke it down in terms of fulfillment models, delivery models, and then our research partners said, hey, you're only getting half the picture. You know, a lot of that stuff that goes out to the consumer comes back. Right. And mm -hmm. so we did a little bit of a dive into returns, but in 2022, our, our objective is to do a deeper dive in returns in here. Yeah. That's why we're here. I love yeah. it. The industry needs this. I, I, and going back, I think we were talking pre-show, we're hoping our supply chain now team is to spread a lot more awareness to our listeners, especially folks that, you know, they turn to us to learn more about general global supply chain, but they don't understand how they're contributing to the returns tidal wave, mm -hmm. you know, some of the things you're pointing out. Uh, because we all, look, we're all consumers. That's right. And we all like to take full advantage of uh, what, what our e-commerce retailers offer. Mm -hmm. And as Tony Schroeder likes to say here, the, the mayor of, of this event this week, <laughs> Don't be surprised when consumers return things when you make it easy for them to Absolutely. return things. Yep. Right, right. So I love what you are doing. Um, yep. you know, I think this aspect of, of global supply chain, especially in, I call it the e-commerce era, but a lot of folks say we should drop the e because this yeah. is just what commerce yeah. is these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like to me we have a great opportunity with some of the work you are doing to advance and advance faster with this uh, velocity and using truth bombs and gold <laughs> nuggets, right? Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the now generation. Hmm. Yeah. The now generation. So both of y'all get the outstanding, probably enlightening opportunity to rub elbows with the folks that are already, you know, they may not be in industry formally yet, mm -hmm. but they're matriculating through, their ideas are already uh, have an impact, they're all consumers, mm -hmm. they're already mm -hmm. changing the world. So I'd love to kind of flip the script a bit. I know they learn, learn a lot from both of y'all, but what have you learned from the now generation? Now I want to stick with you. Yeah, so, you know, last night from my hotel room here, I taught, uh, I had a strategy class, two-hour strategy class. Oh, that just makes and, my head hurt. And, and um, the average age of the students in my class, because it's online masters, they're typically working. They're from all over the world. I have people from China and in Europe and South America and, and then a lot mostly from the, from the U.S. Most of them are in supply chain jobs. Not all of them, 
right? There's a lot of a uh, lot of these students that uh, are in different functions and want to get into supply chain, ah. right? And so, I have my lesson plans and I'm engaging them because we're we use these sessions to really talk about the application that the, of the concepts that they're learning. And I had this whole lesson plan. I was telling Tom, and it blew up. It totally blew up because wow. I'm talking to these folks and. They're coming in, well, what about this, Dr. Amley? What about this? What about that? And we're engaged in subject we were talking about. Last night, we were talking about the changes from COVID and the rise of ship from store models and, and how that changes supply chain. And so what does that do to the middle mile? And, and, and what sh- you, should you be concerned about? And what happens to inventory when now, instead of having, you know, inventory stored in three right. central it's locations all, mm-hmm. all it's all place. over the place yeah. right and 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 they're talking about what their companies are doing what uh what they're focused on and one of the th- one of my big takeaways is a, a couple things and it was talked about at this convention you know the millennials the the gen x xers they really do care about esg right right and, and they talk about it in the class and they, you know, they talk about, well, you know, appliances, you know, people are buying more appliances online. How many refrigerators get returned end up going into a landfill? Right. Right. That would shock a lot of people. And the other, the other big thing is, is technology because they're always telling me about applications that, you know, I, I get up at five o'clock every morning. I'm like in this space, right. and they're telling me things that I've never heard about, <laughs> right? And it, you know, part of that is that as much time as I spend on understanding technology, I'm not a digital native, right? And I never will be. Right. It's like it's like that pick, ship has sailed. <laughs> it's like picking up you know golf clubs, picking up golf for the first time when right. you're you know 25 or 30. You're never going to be as good right. as the person that that picks it up early and. You know, and I'm so excited because all of those, all of that talent, all of that new thinking is now making its way up into the upper ranks of companies. And changing things, changing companies, changing industry. Some of the things that you were just talking about, how various generations care more passionately about, is changing strategies for meeting that customer experience, that customer expectation. And and that's a beautiful thing. It really is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So, Tom... Alan shared a lot of, of, of some of what the now generation is teaching, him and the rest of the faculty. Mm-hmm. And I should say Dr. Amling. <laughs> I know you worked hard to get that PhD, Dr. Amling. <laughs> so tell, tell us, what, what is the now generation teaching you? Well, I think one other thing that's important to point out is that we not only work and teach generation now, but we live amongst them as well. Yeah, right? that's We're right. The parents <laughs> yeah. And that's they challenge right. us not only at work, but also at home. Oh, and, that's right. And, and I think the expectation, I think Alan did a, Dr. Amley did a great job of, uh, <laughs> of uh, speaking. It's, it's hard to characterize a generation, an entire population like that, but I think there's some certain tendencies that you alluded yeah. to that absolutely are, are just so common and, and driving the way they think and, and the expectations they have. And right. not only the businesses with which they conduct, where they go to work and this sort of thing, but everyday living. And a theme that was just brought up earlier at this conference uh, in a keynote was this notion of transparency in the supply chain and the mm. accountability 
that consumers, and I think in particular younger consumers, are directing because they have that visibility, sure. right? They expect that visibility. That's they want right. to know where things are coming from. They want to know what becomes of it when, you know, with, with residues and packaging and mm -hmm. all these sort of things of consumption. And, uh, you know, my own daughter's quite active in resale retail that was talked about <laughs> earlier. And, you know, not relying upon conventional brick and mortar retail or even right. online retailing, just informal social networks to say, hey, uh, you know, I got a friend that's pretty good at stitching and can turn this, <laughs> you know, this this old decrepit item into something new and fresh and exciting. And and I, I see that really challenging the way conventional business has has operated. And uh, you know, just having that that awareness, but also beyond just awareness, this keen, sincere interest in holding themselves and organizations accountable. Right. And and demanding the visibility mm -hmm. into the the proof. Right. in the pudding yeah. of what you're just speaking right. to. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, makes it a little tough to live with them as well. <laughs> the way we live and consume and question uh, our own decisions as a household, right? So That's right. right. That's yeah. right. You're very right. And organizations have got to meet this. This um, I, I agree with you. It's tough to generalize, right? Because all these generations aren't, you know, it's not all black and white of what this generation likes, this generation. But... Clearly, the expectations, the dynamics, uh, what customers are looking for, and the visibility to prove it's it's been met mm -hmm. is certainly in demand. And that's yeah. a good thing, I think, for industry and, mm -hmm. and global supply chain. So, uh, what I want to do, I want to keep going down this path. I know we could probably have an eight-hour mini-series with both of y'all on the <laughs> topics of, of what this event's all about. Returns management, reverse logistics. It's such a uh, dynamic, intriguing, and ever more critical element to what makes up global business, right? Because e-commerce is not slowing down anytime soon. That's we right. love it. Mm -hmm. We That's love right. it as consumers. Uh, so, Alan, coming back to you, as mm -hmm. you think about that aspect of global business and beyond what you've already shared, what, what's the topic that you really, you're really your laser-focused on here lately within the backdrop of returns and Yeah, you bet. You bet. So, you know, part of what, what Tom and I try to do is, is look at the entire landscape. That's what we did around last mile last year, you know, all the way from middle mile to the, to the doorstep. And with reverse, we're looking at, you know, what's happening, what are the best practices around keeping returns from happening in the first place to induction, through processing, through disposition, and, you know, what are all the different models and trying to get our heads around it so people can see a framework and understand kind of what's happening. Because part of the problem, and it was talked about in a, in a presentation earlier, is that, you know, it's the, the, the nine blind people trying to figure out, you know, an elephant. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I think it's an Indian proverb, I believe. Th that's right, that's right. And, um, and people understand their, their, their certain aspects, but they don't really understand the systemic view. And so, so that's what, what Tom and I are really capturing. And the, the parts that are just personally the most fascinating to me, one is what's happening around big and bulky. It's the least mature, right? right. And it was kind of the last, the last category to go online. Um, so it's the most immature. There's some really interesting things going on there. And then this process of how do I re-commerce, how do I capture as much value from that return as possible? And so a lot of that is, you know, AI and machine learning and, 
And, you know, Tom and I talk about this quite a bit. We have these war room sessions, <laughs> right? And we're like going back and forth. What about this? What about that? And we're challenging each other, which is, you know, which I just love. It's um, important. It's paramount. That's right. right. You, oh, yeah, you, you've absolutely. You've got to celebrate Creative where we disagree. Yeah, yes, that's right. A- a- absolutely. And, um, and so, you know, you think about, like, what is nirvana? So nirvana is... So I want to return something, and when I say I want to return it, there are algorithms that kick off that say, okay, you want to return a left-handed widget. There's, you know, uh, 150 people in your immediate area that have searched for a left-handed widget in the last 12 hours, and it pushes advertisements to them, right? right? And the and the product goes right from the consumer's door right to the person that's using it and all the transportation legs and all the handling or is out of that. We're not there yet, right? right? But um, but that's what it's it's kind of what is the target? What do we want to do um, as a as an industry to really increase the, you know, improve the consumer experience, but also reduce uh, the environmental impacts, right. reduce the cost, right? And all of this is within our grasp. Yep. Uh, we just need to do it, Agreed. right? And that's why I'm so excited about all of this innovation pumped into the industry. Agreed. Real innovation. We're cha- real change is taking place, not that's right. just the ideation, which the, the, a lot of folks think and about. It, you know, I want to add a point to that is that, and, and doing it at a profit, Right. Mm. Right? Yeah. Because we're it's not, a, we're not talking about just doing things that are good that, that, and, that, and you end up going out of business doing good things. That doesn't help. Right. Right? It's how do you tackle profit and planet? Sure. Right? That's where it becomes more sustainable. Well, yeah. that, it's true. If you, if you break down sustainability, I mean, in order to sustain, it has to be viable from a business That's standpoint. Right. It's, it, it just can't be you know, good for, for people on planet, it's going to be good for business too. That's agreed. Right. Agreed. Well, let's, let's keep going on that path. So thank you, Dr. Yep. Amlin, for sharing <laughs> some of the things you're tracking. You can call me out. Uh, <laughs> we're like <laughs> minutes into the interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. So what, you know, there, there's so much to tackle, but what, what's one thing, Tom, that really sticks out to you when you're thinking of returns and reverse yeah. logistics beyond what we've talked about? Well, something... Pardon me for dropping an academic term, quixotic. Uh, something that's quixotical and very curious to me is how we make this work when our organizations are not very well aligned around being concerned with how we bring this stuff back. You think about marketing and merchandising is concerned about the customer experience. Hey, whatever the customer wants, we need to do it. Right. That then gets thrown over the wall to logistics supply chain. It's like, okay, now this stuff has landed on our step. What yeah. do we do with it? You got finance over here going, hey, what are we going to do about issuing this credit? And so something that, uh, based on the research that we've already conducted, we've, we've kind of stumbled upon what is maybe the most quixotic uh, problem that this, this business faces is how you align around it within the organization. Mm-hmm. And I think inevitably, we're going to have to get the physics, we're going to have to get the economics together, but we also got to get this organization piece figured out too. Oh, absolutely. You know, is it something really the C-suite, the CEO is, is concerned with? Uh, and, and figuring out how you can serve these various masters, if you will, of, yep. of the uh, business and, and the economy and the customer experience and, and all that. And, and so I think that uh, we're probably looking at the next phase of our research. We <laughs> dig deeper, right. work with some of our organizational <laughs> behavior 
yeah. folks that uh, yeah. understand the science of how you get things through an organization. But uh, you know, really, it's just been you know heavy lifting. You right. know, we always just say, hey, returns happen. Well, as you point out, they don't necessarily have to happen if we can get ahead of them. Right. But also, again, how do we make money on it? How do we incorporate that into the brand? How do we make it meaningful to everyone throughout the organization? That's right. You know, my first job was at the Winn-Dixie in my mm. hometown of Aiken, South Carolina. I bagged groceries town, and yeah. stocked shelves, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And what sticks out in my brain, anytime we talk about returns, is there's always that one cart that as customers <laughs> brought things back, it was going in that cart. Yeah. And then in our spare time when we weren't busy, mm -hmm. we were taking that cart up and down the lane <laughs> and putting <laughs> stuff right back <laughs> on the shelves. It's not quite that easy these days, is yeah. it? No. It really isn't. No. Right. Um, but a couple things, you, what I really like that where you are comparing and contrasting just in your last couple answers is you're kind of speaking, Tom, about aligning those internally within the enterprise. And then in one of your last statements, uh, Alan, was what do we, we don't know what the industry really wants to do yet. And so you're, you're speaking alignment kind of of industry. I, my brain immediately goes to how we're sharing data because that mm -hmm. impacts oh, the sure. limitations and constraints, not just with returns, but our ports and some other things, right? So we've right, got right. a lot of work to do. Yeah. So we've got quite the yin and the yang here. No wonder <laughs> you are the dynamic duo. Yeah. Um, all right, so we got to start to wrap things up. Yep. I want to pose one final question before we make sure folks know how to connect with you both. Let's get your big crystal ball out and give us a big, bold, fearless prediction for 2022. So, Alan, I'm, I'm going to stick with you here. What's okay. one thing that we can hang our hat on that we're going to see more this year? So, this is going to make some certain people upset, but I'm going to tell. I'm going to. I'm going to lay it out there anyway, right? So we talked about ship from store. <laughs> and one of the biggest trends that's happened since COVID hit is ship from store, more um, local suburban distribution. Uh, you had the rise of gig delivery companies that, you know, now it's, now it's not, you know, just getting that uh, burrito at two in the morning. Right. It's, it's your pet food from PetSmart, right? right. And, uh, and you have these contractor networks that are coming up, and then you've got, so you've got Amazon spent over 60 billion, you've got uh, Walmart that now has a third-party delivery service called Go Local, you have uh, Target that is doing really fascinating things, they bought Shipped, you have Costco that bought uh, Innovel Solutions for a billion dollars. So here's my big bold prediction. Okay. By 2023, it is going to be clear that B2C delivery is being is owned by the retailers, not the delivery companies. And it's a it's a big change, it's a it's a it's a sea change. And essentially what they're doing is they're taking that in-store experience right. and now they're saying, no, I'm not just controlling the experience at my store. I'm going to control the experience all the way to the doorstep. Mm. And they're investing billions. They've got really talented people. It is, uh, it's shaking up the delivery world. It really is. It, yep. it really, it, and it's, it's uh, giving customers more choices, more convenient choices, and uh, to some extent allows them to personalize their interaction with these various retailers. I, I agree with it. You yeah. may, may make some people mad, but I agree with you. I do agree <laughs> with you. Tom, big, bold, fearless prediction. 
All right. This is this is big and bold. Uh, not only in terms of e-commerce, business, reverse, and a lot of the topics that we've talked about thus far, but just in in the world society. I'd like to think that 2022 is the year in which we reach an inflection point with this and, and come to grips with this pandemic. Dare I say, maybe it becomes endemic. And I've had the the a belief that as the pandemic goes, so go our supply chains. Right. And so if we could just get a handle on this, you know, Omicron 1, Omicron 2, who knows if it's Pyro, Tau <laughs> oh, Sigma, what's coming up next? But, you know, if we can just get to that endemic state, and it's a function of contending with it here stateside, but also globally, yeah. right? And so I think it is, you know, we're going to have to engage in, in much more active uh, vaccination diplomacy and uh, and, and maybe get to that point where maybe people can start to live some semblance of where we were 2019. And if we can get to that point, the stresses that we're going to have on our supply chains, not going to say they're going to go away right. by any measure, it's still going to mm -hmm. be hard to bring that workforce uh, into our warehouses and distribution networks that right. we need. But if we can get people to spend money a little bit differently, uh, than they have. People would travel to great places like La Las Vegas, Nevada, and, and other great destinations around the world. It would take a lot of the strain off of, of our supply chains, maybe get things a little bit more in balance. Now, back at UT, we've got an office pool going around. It's like, what's that date? And you can't say 2023. It's like, somebody's right. like, no, give me a specific date. And so, um, I, I caught a lot of heat because back in, um, in the Delta wave in the fall, I said April 28, 2022. And hey, I'm just going to stick with it. Yeah. It's not to say things are going to be in, in balance, right? right? But if, if we could get this Omicron thing to kind of you know, subside and, right. and people just get out feeling a little more comfortable, maybe summer months we could uh, uh, be, be living <laughs> a little bit more like 19. You heard, you heard it here you first. Heard it here. April 28th <laughs> no, I didn't say what day. year, did I? <laughs> <laughs> no, let's I'm, go with that. Let's I'm go writing I, I don't know. The media, the media requests will probably go down a little bit, maybe <laughs> uh, late spring, early I, summer, do you think? Yeah. I, people yeah. start going, hey, so long as it's on the shelf, I don't really care what happens. Uh -huh. I don't know. We'll see. But, but, you know, beyond it all, and then we'll make sure folks and I connect with both y'all here in a minute, but beyond it all, industry has permanently changed in many yeah. aspects, okay. right? And um, I think some of the silver lining, I can't remember we were talking about it when we started the show or prior to it, a big piece, piece of that silver lining is how real resilience and affordable agility, mm -hmm. you were talking about earlier, yeah. Tom, yeah. Yeah. how the innovation, the real innovation driven because of this terrible worldwide thing, mm -hmm. industry is going to be stronger, stronger, and, and more customer centric, mm -hmm. uh, I believe on the other side. And hopefully the other side is April 28, 2022. We'll <laughs> hey, Scott, just one other point yeah, about yeah. that. You know, I talked about agility and resilience earlier, and that's kind of like a supply chain is what we were focused on. And then we got down to the organization and ultimately realized it's, it's incumbent upon each of us as individuals to also try to be agile and resilient. We've certainly right. been tested in this pandemic, but yep. I think to your point, we've kind of learned what we're made of. You know? Yep, excellent point, excellent point. And, and, and it comes down to uh, our individual choices, mm -hmm. right? And are we adding to the problems mm -hmm. or are we helping resolve them and solve Good them point. and yep. forward? Yep. Okay, so much more we can get to with Batman <laughs> and Robin of Global Supply Chain. I'll let y'all figure out who's who later on. But, um, We've been chatting with Dr. Alan Amling oh. and Tom Golds. We're both with the University of Tennessee and beyond. How can folks connect with you? Because I know that the book's coming up in March, Organization, Organizational Velocity. You got right. it. You got it. How can folks connect with you? So, aamling at utk.edu um, or connect with me on LinkedIn. So, you'll get a lot of content there that might be useful. 
Also, I, I guarantee it. I'm, uh, I'm a uh, proud follower of uh, <laughs> one Dr. Alan Amling. Tom, how can folks connect with you? Yeah, T Goldsby at utk.edu. Also, find me at, at LinkedIn and also on Twitter at Thomas Goldsby. And also, I'll just plug the uh, Global Supply Chain Institute website at yeah. uh, gsci.edu. Uh, and and uh, we, we love to have engagement. That's what we thrive upon, it's what feeds us. Yeah, so let, I'm going to throw in a bonus question because sure. you might have companies that, that have heard you describe certain things or business leaders heard you describe some things you're involved in, students at the college. What's, what's the easy way they can get you know, plugged into what you're doing, whether they're hiring or whether they want to be a part of the, the collaborative? Any, just reach out to y'all? Yeah, yeah, I certainly reach out to Alan or me, but also, like I said, the Global Supply Chain Institute is our incubation. You know, that, is, yeah. that is where we really try to engage first and foremost and bring industry into what we do on campus and in turn, yeah. what we do on campus out to industry. So GSCI well, right. is the I best love place. Yeah. That's All right. right. Big thanks to you both, and don't go anywhere just yet. We're going to sign off here. But hey, folks, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Goodness gracious, I think if we if we plugged up uh, Alan and Tom to Electrical Grid, I think we could power <laughs> certain aspects of Nevada. Uh, but hopefully you enjoy the conversation. Hey, beyond what they shared here, take some action. I think that's, that's one of the key takeaways, right? Yep. Are you helping address the problem, or are you adding to it? But regardless of your takeaways here today, uh, Scott Luton on behalf of our entire Supply Chain Now team challenging you, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.